0: Well, this morning we are uh, returning to First Peter, so please take a copy of God's Word and turn there with me. First Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. And a few weeks back, we saw that verses 11 and 12 are a kind of transition uh, pivot point in First uh, Peter where he's now going to speak to us about uh, how to live faithfully as Christians in the world. And we're going to see Peter call Christians to faithful living that does not unnecessarily offend the expectations of those around us. Uh, Now, in these verses, you'll notice in verses 13 through 17... Uh, These verses explain how we as citizens of God's holy nation, as God's people, are to live in relation to the civil authorities in the land in which we live. And that, of course, makes these verses immediately relevant to us. I think that we would all agree this morning that uh, the political landscape is, uh, shall we say, a bit seedy and uh, tense, and uh, things can get nasty uh, pretty quick. Uh, in addition to that, add to it that to the moral values embraced across the ideological spectrum by many of the highest civil leaders in our land run far, far below the things that we would hold most dear as Christians seeking to, to live by God's word. It is, I think, becoming increasingly difficult to hold public office in this land as a Christian without compromising or without at least paying lip service to a particular agenda. And it's certainly the case that in different parts of this nation that statutory provisions are being sought. That would discriminate against businesses and individuals who who are failing to get on board with what many are calling the moral revolution. And so, with all those things in mind, and surely others, it makes it, I think, urgent for us to know how to live faithfully for Jesus Christ in this time, in this place. And I think 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 can go a long way in helping us and equipping us uh, along these lines. So let's turn our attention to reading God's word, but first let's pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Lord, your word is opened up uh, before us, and we ask now that by the Holy Spirit, uh, you would uh, enable me um, to explain the, the sense of your words here and that you would give us all a right understanding that we might be equipped to live as your servants in this world. Show us as well how these words point us once again to our great Savior and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is coming again to judge the world and to make all things new. It's in his name we pray. Amen. excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, picking it up in verse 13. Let's hear what God has to say to his church. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the Emperor. Well, as we get started, I think we need to remember that what Peter has already said is meant to prepare us for what he is now saying. For much of the, the letter up to this point, Peter has been talking to us about our new identity in Christ. Uh, we are the, the people of God. By God's saving grace, in chapter 2, verse 9, he gives us a kind of summary statement defining who we are as the people of God. And he reminds us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In the next verse, he goes on to say, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, and as a result of that, you are sojourners and exiles here. In this world. This is our new identity in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that that's all that's all groundwork for this next section of Peter's letter. Peter is now going to talk to us about how we are to live as Christians in the world, and he grounds all of it in our new identity in Christ. How how we are to relate to civil authority is directly related to who we are as God's people. And so if you want a kind of summary statement here that we're going to go on to unpack this morning, I think Peter's message in these verses is this. Because we are God's people, saved by grace, and because we are sojourners and exiles in this earthly kingdom— and because we belong to another king and to another kingdom, we must, therefore, freely subject ourselves willingly and obediently to civil authority, and we must honor every human institution, whether it be the president of the United States, our state governor, or local councils and mayors. We must do this, note verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What I want to do for a few minutes is zero in on that statement, for the Lord's sake, and reflect on that together. What Peter is saying, I think, is that because there is a divine authority over and above every earthly authority. And because our aim as God's people is always in all things to honor and obey God as the supreme authority, we therefore must obey every man or woman God has placed over us in positions of civil authority. I think it's helpful as we enter into this to realize that the emperor that is most likely in view is none other than the emperor Nero. Now, when Peter wrote this first letter, I don't think the severe persecution that was yet to come had yet broken out. Nevertheless, uh, Nero would prove himself to be a wicked and cruel man this is the Nero who would light Christians on fire and use them as human torches to light up his garden this is the Nero who would take Christians and sew them up in in the skin of animals and then feed them to the dogs but here's Peter saying be subject to the emperor honor him And do it for the Lord's sake who has placed him over you. Verse 14. The emperors and governors are sent by him. Sent by God. And here's where I think a theological perspective is absolutely crucial. Apart from God. Apart from knowing that it is God who appoints civil leaders, we are left to ourselves, aren't we? We are left to our own thinking, our own opinions, our own devices. We will think that it's up to us to decide who we will honor and who we will obey. And politically, we're left to ourselves to fight for our own rights, to fight for our own desires, and so we end up believing in one way or another, that our only hope and security at the end of the day really is secured through earthly authorities, having the right leaders who rule the way we think they should. Friends, look, if your future and security and your hope rests entirely on politics and political leaders, I think a couple of things are going to result. You're gonna be an anxious mess. You're probably gonna be a cantankerous kind of individual to talk to, if I can be honest. And it's going to be nearly impossible for you to render the honor to civil authorities to which God calls us. I mean, how, how are you gonna do that when they're making a total mess of things? How how could you subject yourself to an authority who can't even balance a budget? How could you possibly honor a politician that supports slaughtering babies in the womb? How could you possibly honor a president who routinely demeans women in the most grotesque ways imaginable? How, how could you honor a leader who's consistently dishonest and disingenuous, not trustworthy. If such leaders are your supreme hope in this life, you're in trouble. And it's going to be near impossible to render honor to them. Because they will always let you down and it's going to be impossible to honor and obey them the way that God calls us to. But, and this is a big but, but if we understand our new identity in Christ, if we know that we really are but sojourners and exiles here, and if we see our relationship to the civil authorities the way Peter wants us to, then I think our view of human government will be radically changed. We understand Why will it be changed? Well, it will be changed for a number of reasons. One of the reasons we we understand that there is a greater king and we understand that all rulers and authorities are accountable to him. They will answer to him, not to us, but to him. And we understand that all authorities are sent by him, verse 14. We understand that God is sovereign over the rise and fall of presidents, governors, and senators. We understand that the kingdoms of this earth rise and fall according to God's wise providence, but that the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ endures forever. And we understand in view of all of these things that we now exist in an entirely different relation to These authorities. We do not need to rebel against them. We do not need to dishonor them. We can be subject to them. And honor them. Because we know our God reigns. And when we obey and honor these human authorities. Peter is telling us. We bring honor to our king. It is for The Lord's sake that we are subject to them. You see, our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence in God is so great. Our status as citizens of God's holy nation is so secure that as exiles and sojourners here, Peter's saying, We can gladly subject ourselves to whomever God places over us, even if it's an emperor like Nero. You see how radically different this approach is from how many people, including Christians, think about political authority today. I think if we follow the teaching of Scripture We do not approach this issue in any way remotely like someone outside of Christ. We obey. We honor those in authority because of who we are in Christ and because we know that God is the supreme authority. So let's uh, let's apply what Peter is teaching to our own context. may get myself into trouble this morning but that's okay. You know, so, sometimes sometimes you've probably heard people say he's not my president. Maybe maybe you've said that. I've I've heard of that a lot in recent years by non-Christians and by some Christians saying about various presidents He is not my president. Just think about that statement in the light of what Peter is teaching here. If you've said that, if you think that now, you need to hear God's word. When you make the statement, he's not my president, that is not a neutral statement, is it? It is actually a malevolent theological statement because it is a denial of God's sovereign and wise hand in establishing the government that he sees fit to appoint. So when you say something like that, you need to understand it isn't ultimately against that individual that you're speaking against. It's ultimately against the God who sent him, and you're forgetting that it is God who appointed him. Remember what Paul says in Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, Peter's essentially saying the same thing here in fewer words. He's saying, it's God who put Nero over you. It's God who placed President Barack Obama over you. It's God who appointed Donald Trump as your president. It's God who has placed Joe Biden over you as your president. Therefore, honor those in authority for the Lord's sake. And by honoring them, you honor the God who appointed them. Now, the practical implications of this, I think, are vast I've just pointed to one thing to think about I mean it, it, it's almost overwhelming to think about how this passage applies to us today it, and, and part of the reason it's overwhelming is it is such a complex issue and I want to say there are, there are room, there is room for differences of opinion on some of the particulars as long as we are united on the fundamentals of what God's Word clearly says to us. You and I cannot deny the responsibility to honor and obey those who are in authority. That is a clear biblical mandate that we have to follow. But there's a lot of nuance and complexities that we can and I hope would discuss. Christians have been doing it down through the centuries. Christians have always been discussing and debating the relationship between State in the church and to be sure there are lots of hard questions that we need to work through so to help us I hope let me just mention quickly three important uh, I think biblical qualifications that will help us work through the implications of Peter's teaching here okay so so first first qualification is this being subject to the governing authority does not mean that we cannot disagree with them or speak prophetically against their policies and actions. Think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus did not hesitate to call the religious leaders of his day hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus called Herod a fox, which is not a very nice thing to say. But that same Jesus also did not hesitate to submit himself to these same authorities when they arrested him. Jesus honored their office. He honored their God-given authority even when they put him to death. Now that's a remarkable example, isn't it? And it's actually the example that Peter points us to. If you jump down to verse 21, when Peter is now speaking to to slaves in their relation to earthly masters, and we'll get to the complexities of that next week, but notice where Peter points them. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, so Jesus is an example where to follow The way he related to the authorities in his day is the way that we are to relate to the authorities in our own. He spoke the truth openly. He even spoke against authorities where they were wrong, even as he submitted himself to them and honored them. That's the first thing. Being subject does not mean that we never disagree with them or speak out critically of policies or actions. The second qualification is that being subject to the civil authorities is not an unqualified call to obedience. It doesn't mean that you obey absolutely. You you don't do that because you know that there is a higher authority. You don't do that because you know that the that the civil magistrate is not the ultimate authority, but has received authority from the highest authority, God himself. You don't obey without qualification, because you know it's Jesus who is your ultimate Lord. And so whenever possible, you... Subject yourself to the authorities for the Lord's sake as an act of obedience to God, Peter's saying. But whenever the will of the civil magistrate conflicts with the will of God for you, then you must say no to man in order to say yes to God. We probably all know that the famous example of this, the apostles and Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and John have been preaching the name. They've been telling people about Jesus and his resurrection, and they're taken before the authorities and they're commanded to no longer speak of this name. And what do they say? And keep in mind, that's the very thing Jesus commissioned them to do, right? <laughs> to go and make disciples, to preach the gospel to the peoples of this earth. And so without hesitation, they say in that situation, we must obey God rather than men. And so there's a principle there that when we are commanded to do something by a human authority that is contradictory to God's commandments, then we disobey the human authority in order to obey God. Now, I, I think that perhaps in our own cultural and political context that we might just need to qualify that qualification. Right. You tracking with me at this point now? We're, we're talking about a qualifier of, of, of the second qualification. And here it is. A, a, a civil authority commanding us to do something we do not like is not the same thing as a civil authority commanding us to do something God forbids. That's a hard truth to swallow, but I think it's true nevertheless. And to, to my knowledge, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think I have ever had a civil authority directly command me to do something that God forbids. Now that might change, but I, I don't think I've experienced that. It, it has happened to Christians throughout history. It's happening to Christians around the world today. And maybe, maybe the day will come when it will happen to us. But until then, our Christian calling is to submit ourselves, for the sake of the Lord, to civil authority. See, what Peter is really calling for here we might call a radical civil obedience. <laughs> and so the second qualification <clears throat> is that to be subject um, and honor the authority doesn't mean that you submit to whatever they ask, but it does mean that as long as they are not asking you to do something that contradicts God's word, then our default response as Christians ought to be to obey <laughs> That's a, that's a challenging question I asked myself this week. is Jared, is your default response to be subject to the governing authorities, or is it to resist? Let's go to the third qualification. The third qualification as we try to work this out, is that being subject to the authorities does not mean that Christians are to be passive politically. It doesn't mean that you you sit back and rest on your laurels. Christians rightly and properly engage in the political processes of this nation. We rightly exercise our our right to vote and, and seek to be agents of change and influence. We rightly labor politically for civic righteousness and just laws throughout our land. So we don't, we don't withdraw. This is what I'm getting at. We don't withdraw because we are sojourners and exiles. Instead, we actively engage the world. And I think our engagement is actually more robust because we are sojourners and exiles here. Maybe, maybe you've heard it said, um, you know, Christians are... Um, No earthly good because they're too heavenly minded. Have you ever heard something like that? Christians are no earthly good because they're too heavenly minded. I I think that is so off base. It is because of our heavenly mindedness. Because we know that there is a divine king over every earthly king that frees us to more substantially engage in the affairs of this world. I think that's part of what Peter wants us to understand. When when the world is pressing down on Christians, seeking to accuse us of social nonconformity or social disruption, perhaps even hatred toward neighbors, that's exactly what Christians were being accused of um, during the time of Peter throughout Asia Minor. They would have been hearing in Peter's context, you Christians hate humanity because you refuse to participate in the imperial cult and you're upsetting the social norms of the Greco-Roman household, which was seen as the fundamental building block of a stable society. So all kinds of accusations were being hurled against them for those things. And Peter says that one of the ways you answer those accusations is by showing in your life in the honor and subjection that you render to the emperor that your desire is to seek the good of the community, the good of your neighbor. And that's why Peter goes on to say in verse 15 that by uh, uh, honoring the emperor, by subjecting ourselves To him, we are doing the will of God, and by doing good, we silence the mouths of foolish people. Well, again, there's so much to discuss in light of Peter's teaching. Um, and, And I would encourage you to do that. As Christians, we ought to be able to talk about political issues peacefully, with grace and with love and show a better way than so much of what we see happening around us right now. So I hope, maybe over lunch today, or fellow believers this afternoon, you might talk about how we should render honor and be subject to our political leaders, even when we don't agree with them or disapprove of so much of what they do. But what I want to do this morning is I want to point you to something else Peter says that I don't think we should miss. In verse 13, we actually looked at this passage a while back. I don't know if you remember. and My own understanding of what Peter is saying in verse 13 has has developed and and changed a little bit. And I want to share that with you this morning. Now notice verse 13. The ESV, which I'm reading from, translates this as Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Now, if you're looking at an ESV, chances are there's a footnote um, that shows there's another possible translation, and it suggests, in mine at least, uh, or every institution ordained for people. So at the very least, there's a recognition that there's discussion over how to translate this word That's translated institution in the ESV. Now, the reason there's difficulty in knowing how to translate the word institution in our ESV is because the literal word that Peter uses is the word for creature. Creature. It's the exact word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about people worshiping the creature rather than the creator. So where the ESV says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, another possible and I think likely way to read this verse is to read it as be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature. And I'm I'm more and more convinced convinced that this is how we we ought to translate this. As I did some digging and and, and reading about this, I, I... I think I'm right in saying that there's nowhere else in the Bible where this word is translated institution. And outside of the Bible, in Greek literature, there's nowhere that this word is translated as institution. Maybe there's an example that I haven't found, but that's where I'm at right now. And what Peter, I think, therefore, is is, is actually saying is be subject for the Lord's sake to every Human creature. Voluntarily subject yourself for the Lord's sake to human creatures, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. So the question becomes, why Why is Peter putting it this way? I mean, and he's saying something unique. He's emphasizing the human creatureliness of the civil magistrate, of the civil magistrate. Authorities. The emperor who rules as supreme, Peter is reminding us, is a creature. And so, as Christians, we honor and obey human creatures like the emperor or president placed over us in a position of authority, but we do so remembering that they are nothing more than human creatures. The emperor is not divine. We don't worship Him. We don't look to Him to accomplish things that only God can do. We don't render an obedience and service to Him that we would only render to God. Because He's just a man. Now what Peter is saying here I think is a master stroke. Because even as he calls us to honor and to be subject Peter is making it clear that we don't worship the emperor or in any way treat him as a divine figure. And that would have been really important in Peter's day because you remember that in the Greco-Roman world, if you were a good citizen, you participated in the imperial cult where you recognized that the emperor was a god on earth that he had a divine status. They were expected to worship the emperor as divine. And Peter is saying to them, look, yes, you render honor and obedience, but you worship God alone. You give honor and obedience, but you do not bow down. Friends, we don't have a, An overtly political cult in our... Well, maybe we do sometimes. Maybe we do sometimes. But not exactly the way it existed in the Roman Empire. But nevertheless, don't you think that there is a similar confusion in our own day in the way that people approach and think about politicians and politics... We are tempted, I think, to view political leaders as messianic figures, aren't we? Even, even among Christians in our own political context, often we will lift up politicians higher and higher and higher to the point where they're all, they've almost reached a kind of divine status in our mind, and so we'll, we'll, we'll hear people saying things like, only he or only she can save America. And I think at that point, we are in danger of putting our hope and our trust in a mere creature. I'll give you a silly but sad example of this. I'm I'm not picking on one side here. I'm sure an example could be found uh, on the other side. But the other day, I was driving, and and I saw a sign that said, God, guns, and trump. That's my religion. I I hope we can all say that's problematic. (laughs) Uh, That's idolatry, is what that is. And so, if Peter is saying, honor the emperor as a creature, but don't worship him, that's a word that not only the early Christians needed to hear, I think it's a word that we need to hear today. Politicians are mere creatures. We honor and obey them, but we do not put our trust and hope in them. We certainly don't worship them. Remember the, the language of uh, Psalm 146 Put not your trust in princes, in a Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day. His plans perish. Now, of course, Psalm 146 is written in a day when Kings ruled and, you know, kings were in office until uh, close to the time of their death. But couldn't we simply translate that to our own times and say, (laughs) as soon as they're out of office, their plans perish. Now, in verse 14, something else I think we need to recognize along the way here. And maybe this is a timely word too. Peter talks uh, about the limited purpose of government. You know, I think, I think we are witnessing the extension of government power, and I'm not just talking about in our own nation, but globally right now, we are witnessing the extension of government authority to virtually every aspect of people's lives. And in light of that, I think we need to say human government doesn't bring salvation. Human government doesn't usher in the kingdom of God, and human government is not ordained by God to micromanage every sphere of our lives. But it is, Peter's saying, it is ordained by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This point is to the, the basic fundamental Role of civil government ordained by God in this world. There, there, there is a, a purpose of establishing and maintaining justice. That's what it's for. And then verse 15. Uh, we've already mentioned this in passing, but when we, when we do good by obeying the authorities, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <clears throat> I, think, I think this is so helpful. Peter's being straightforward with us. And I think it it challenges uh, so many contemporary Christian notions of what it means to be involved in politics. Peter's not saying, look, you, you you need to organize yourselves as a political movement to work for change in this world. He certainly doesn't call for the overthrow of Nero. He is not preaching civil disobedience. Actually, it's interesting when you think about it, the apostles never actually focus on civil disobedience in their teaching to the church. Peter's not asking the church to organize protests and marches. In fact, he virtually does the opposite. He urges us to obey and honor for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of silencing our neighbors who wrongly think that we hate the world. This is incredible. And, and and people may say, well, you know, Peter, Peter was living in a different time, a different age, a different context. It wasn't a democracy and things are different now. And for sure, many things are different now. But friends, if you have read anything about the history of the Roman world, then then you know there were all kinds of political factions and movements and rebellions and all kinds of political activity that in so many ways would mirror what we see happening in our own nation today. And Peter could have said, get involved in that, jump right in, start a political revolution. He, he could have sought to organize a political movement, but instead he seeks to organize a church. A church made up of people who, who will honor and obey the civil government and in doing so, set an example for their neighbors, and in doing so, provide, I think, gospel opportunities to give a reason for the hope that they have. And Peter's saying, it's all for the sake of the Lord. And so Peter's teaching Christians how to relate to the world, and in these verses in relation to civil authority. We subject ourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human creature appointed by God to silence the mouths of people who falsely accuse Christians of being insubordinate because they refuse to worship the idols of this age. Wherever we turn in Scripture, and this is just a reminder to us brothers and sisters, wherever we turn in Scripture, we are told again and again and again and again that the political renovation of this world is not found in mere human creatures. It will be found and revealed at the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me end with this. Let me level with you here. There may come a day when our democracy fails. when it's in total shambles. And that day may come sooner than we realize it. It may be upon us now. I don't know. There may come a day when we are ruled by a modern Nero, who stands opposed to virtually everything we confess as Christians. There may come a day when our freedoms to gather together and to preach the word unhindered are under real threat. And I'm saying all of that not to dishearten you, not to incite fear, but to say to you, what do we do if that happens? We do exactly what Peter says honor those who are in authority. We subject ourselves to them for the Lord's sake. We simply keep doing what Peter tells us to do here. And if that day comes, we we know our hope does not rest in mere creatures, but in God, because our trust is not in the kings of this world, but it is rooted firmly in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so if that day comes, I hope we don't miss a beat. We keep doing what Peter urges at the end of our passage. We honor everyone. We love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Above all else, we fear God. And we give honor to the emperor. May God give us the grace to be such a people in this present age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a word that you speak to us. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen and equip us in Christ Jesus to conform our lives increasingly to the truth that you have spoken to us today. Help us to Live in subjection to the authorities that you have placed over us and to see that it is ultimately an act of obedience and service to you. Help us to do it willingly and joyfully as Christians because we know that we have been set free to live as your servants. And it's in serving you that we have the truest, deepest freedom. It's what we were saved for. And so help us to live as servants of God and faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Conform our understanding of freedom to gospel freedom and what that means for our daily lives in relation to the world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.